0: This podcast was brought to you by Spartan Sports. The running game. This is The Running Game, a rugby podcast that covers the sport from the ground up. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host Matt Dunney. How are you, Matty? Great, Timmy. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm real well. We've got a great show on the way today as well. The CEO of New South Wales Rugby, Paul Dawn, joins us. And a man, how old were you and how old was he when you were playing with Brian Billy Melrose?
1: I made my, fir- I made my first grade debut boo at 19 and... Uh, I think Billy was listed in the program as 36, but there's some question marks over that, I reckon. Okay, Billy's on the show as well. A great rugby man. 100% looking forward to it, Tim.
0: So, Maddie, look, uh, there's so many things that need to be improved in the game, and I know that, you know, like our two guests today will give us some observations on that. But on the other side of the fence, when it comes to... Basic positivity and trying to work together. How important is it for people inside this game who love this game? Everyone loves the game to try and work a little bit closer together.
1: Hundred percent, Tim. Couldn't agree more. You know, uh, working together, being positive—it it has to happen. I went to the rugby lunch on Friday for the for the Newcastle Wildfires launch. It was a great day. Five hundred people in a room. All pro rugby, all wanting Australian rugby, club rugby to, to succeed, and you know it was a it was a, it was a great show. Um, the great Alan Jones spoke or or ranted whatever it is, but he was fantastic, very entertaining. Uh, we had a- Andy Marinos, the CEO, so to have those two guys in the room, you know they they held the crowd. Everyone listened. It was great. You know, someone like Alan has to be respected and we have to, 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 to use his pieces of gold. And, I, and that's the way, I look at, uh, well, the way I look at someone like Alan, you know, and there's no doubt there's some really strong messages we've got to listen to. And I think that's the secret to our game. We have to take the bits from all the different people in, in our game, the quality bits, and, and bring it in as one. Because not one person in, in our game has all the answers. And anyone who thinks that if if anyone comes to me and says they've got all the answers, I'm the man for the job. Well, that's the that's the last bloke I'm employing. You know, we have got to use we're to use the full resources of this game to get it back where it needs to get. And I think if we can use the parts of Alan Jones on you know really building club rugby and and having less of players not being kept in that academy quite type programs and and not playing club rugby and just being you know on like a waiting board for Super Rugby, I think. What we used to do really well in this game was have that, you know, if you don't play for the Waratahs, you play for your club. And, you you know, even when you're training with an academy, you always come back to your club and you play your cl- play in your club. I think it's a really important part to develop players and to develop our game. And, um, and, that, and Alan was really pro that, you know. The
0: point you make, and look, I, I, I really believe that the game of rugby needs to be including people like that. In some role, whether it be an ambassadorial role, whether it be a functional role, because I'm sure that he and others inside and that have been there at the top or uh, let's bring everyone together. And as you say, pick the eyes out of people and have them all moving in the one direction. Now, it needs one voice to do that. It needs a strong person to bring everyone together. And I would think that if that happened, well, then you would get a much more coherent and positive burst forward from a lot more people.
1: Definitely. And, and look, I'm no expert on New Zealand rugby. and That's what it, that, that's what it appears they do well. Uh, and I think we can do that. I think we've got the people, you know, we have passionate people in rugby. You know, there's no doubt some of the most passionate people uh, are in rugby. You know, we, we've got a, a tremendous game. And I think... Although things aren't going the way we want them to go at the moment, there's so much upside. If we get things right, there's no reason this game can't be as big as it was in 2003 after the World Cup. You know, it came from the amateur era where it was, you know, Concord Oval were having World Cup games. And within 16 years, we got 100,000 at, at, at that home bush. So it, it's a great game. So it doesn't take a lot to get it back where it needs to be, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've got some fantastic people inside the
0: game. Like you mentioned, Jonesy, there's many, many others that have so many good things. So, so I, I want to stay positive for so many reasons because I, I believe in it. And look, with boys that play it like you have, um, we need to be positive and to make it happen for them as well. We've got a big show on the way. Let's get to it. Well, real treat for us here on the show to have the Chief Executive Officer of New South Wales Rugby, Paul Dawn. How are you? Very well, Tim. Great to be with you all this afternoon.
1: Hey, Paul. So um, obviously a a tough year, a lot happening at the Waratahs. Um, I guess uh, your chance for a quick brief synopsis of the year to date and obviously with all the the head coach not being there anymore, how how are things there at the Waratahs right now? Oh, look, I think, um,
2: you know, after our performance uh, last week or before the bye weekend um, where we saw a vast improvement in in the quality of the play and and I think a lot from the effort from the players as well. Um, You know, there's still a long way to go, a lot of hard work to be done, but uh, the decisions we had to take around head coach, I think were designed around putting us in the best possible place for the future. So yeah, it's been a tough old 12 months, but um, I think we've, we've now set ourselves on a, on a different trajectory. And um, yeah, we're just doing everything we can to see a bit more success.
0: And you've said, Paul, you're not going to go into any great hurry. It's not going to be a golden slipper. You'll be a bit of a Melbourne Cup approach on picking this new coach. You just want to get everything in place before you do that. It has been a particularly difficult year or so, hasn't it, across everything in life?
2: Well, like I think the Waratahs are probably no different to your local sporting club or your local small business in many ways. You know, COVID certainly threw us a bit of a curveball, but it really gave us an opportunity to, um, to really delve into the business, to look at where we thought there were problems or issues. And uh, now as we start to emerge, and there's a lot of positivity, I think, particularly as we start to head into Trans-Tasman um, next week, and then what it means
1: for um, the community rugby just starting now as well. So, yeah, it's, it seems to be going pretty well. Yeah, Paul, there's been a little bit of criticism, I guess, about the budget on spending a little bit less, and there's been rumours that the Waratahs are spending less than the other teams. How has that affected the performance this year, and um, how do you go about attracting uh, players now that, you know, that's obviously a massive part of the the future of the Waratahs?
2: Yeah, look, it's a a good question because I think there's been a lot sort of said about the the player salary driven part. Now, I think what's really important to sort of note at the time is if anyone's sort of running a business, uh, regardless of whether it's a non-for-profit or a a company or or even your household budget, you really are limited to spend what you can afford to spend. You know, you've got to live within your means, I guess, was the mantra for last year. So when we took the tough decisions around um, player reductions and staff reductions and all those sorts of things around salary cuts for the following year, that was at the context, probably this time last year, where... know there was no competition certainly there wasn't any community sport happening and really where we had sponsors sort of going look paul um you know we pay you a certain amount of money every year and in return we get you know exposure and and a whole host of other things for that benefit um when we weren't in a position to be able to deliver on those sorts of things and the, the cash flow was a real issue clearly we couldn't spend the money that we did now how other clubs did that that's a good question for other clubs i guess in many ways all I can tell you is that as the year went on and competitions recommenced, we were able to deliver on our expectations. The, the sponsors were kept happy. Then we then we increased the amount of money that we had spent on players. But probably, or strategically, the horse had bolted for some of those really top end guys that uh, were that we had been targeting. And in addition to that, a lot of our players. Like other franchises, we're actually taking the opportunity to go overseas, which again is, you know, one of the loveliest parts about rugby itself—that you get, it's a global marketplace—but it does come back to bite you occasionally.
0: Now, you uh, talk about timing. Like you, you did such a wonderful job at venues, in New South Wales, made the move across, and and it sort of it's almost simultaneously happened with a pandemic. Yeah, I think in
2: two weeks I was in the gig, and um, oh, oh we, goodness, and we had the uh, announcement that we were postponing. The super rugby season because of COVID so look you know I'm, I'm no different to many other people we all had to you deal with the, the things the issues that are in front of you and mm. you know, the best of it um, I think we will be much better off you know, getting through this year having taken you know the tough medicine of uh, the last 12 months and it's probably given us a real opportunity to start to say you know what we need to do things differently and that's recruitment strategies that's engagement with Rugby Australia it's how we work more closely and better align with the Shoot Shield competitions and, and just getting a better sense of engagement in that space. But I guess for me, the bit that keeps us going is that the passion for rugby, you know, all we got to do is look at the social media commentary, the amount of people that are desperately happy to have their say around how things are done. There's still a high level of engagement there. And that's something we have to drive forward and convert that into bums on seats at stadiums. So
1: obviously, is it a holistic approach, Paul? Is it, Are you working on all these simultaneously or uh, uh, what's at the top of the tree? What what needs to be done for New South Wales rugby uh, in the initial stage? Yeah,
2: for us, the, the 100%, the, no, there are priorities, but there's a whole host of things happening. So if the top of the tree has to be about recruitment for next year, um, whether that's the head coach position or whether that's about the players that we want to go. Now, the good news is from a recruitment perspective, we are very comfortable with the crop of players in the vast majority of cases that we've got, like these are good young kids that are developing that will get better with time and age and experience and time on the field. But we do know that there are a couple of really cool positions that um, that we that we need to be aggressive in the marketplace. But it's only a, it's a handful of players. Uh, it's things like tight head props and locks and stuff like that, which are quintessential to the competition or to the way in which we want to play our game. Um, but the sort of quality that we want, there are only a few people around the world. That like that. And our, our number one target is to see if we can bring some of our guys that have gone overseas um, over the last couple of years to see if we can bring them home to, to represent their state.
0: Wouldn't that be nice? That would be fantastic. There are some real green shoots. And uh, when, I, when I say that, I, I mean things like the shoot shield. We saw the first round, some big scores, but some really good crowds. I talked to Eastwood and the two blues. And, and then you've got the whole nine-stand arrangement, which is a great boost for the game.
2: Oh, look, yeah, I, I was fortunate. I went out to the uh, Two Blues and Eastwood game on Saturday afternoon and it was it was back to pre-COVID numbers. The hill, the the people standing on the hill having a great old time catching up with people and it was a real – what live sport should be about. It's a real opportunity to, to be social and, and a bit of a get-together. Um, but community rugby after the school holidays, will pretty much all but everywhere will commence, whether that's in the country, whether it's juniors, girl competitions, um you know, our participation numbers during COVID remained pretty pretty good. There were a couple of areas where they didn't run competition, so the numbers were down. But amazingly, in the country in particular, our junior growth of participation actually increased. So, you know, there's lots to love. There's still a deep-seated passion out there for people, and I just think as long as we continue to abide by the rules for the government around, you know, all the safety precautions we're doing around COVID, um, we can see a really positive winter coming ahead.
1: Paul, is there is there a timeline on getting a head coach? Because obviously getting players and not having a head coach might cause some issues. I might be wrong, but I, I know when I was playing a big part of going to an organisation was who were the head coach was. So how, how do you, how do you make sure you get the best talent and get the coach in that sort of, and make that into a sort of timeline? So you, you, you get both.
2: Yeah, look, I think for us, so we've, we've talked about one of the things we took uh, around um, Rob's replacement was um, sort of, if you like promoting the two assistant coaches with, Gillian Witts, and so we've got that level of cohesion. So, you know, those guys are still contracted through to next year. Um, they, they're tremendously great guys, they're good at what they do. Um, so when we're talking to players, it's, it's not just about the coach. The coaching staff is an important part, but it's also – Things like our Centre of Excellence will come online next year. It's about the players we've got contracted. It's the environment we're trying to create. And it's the future that we can sell to these guys coming in. So you're right, though. The coach is a really important part. But there are other people in our organisation that are fulfilling that role around that direct relationship with the players. And then then I guess from a player's perspective, they might be shorter contracts to start with, uh, like a one plus one type deals or, or those sorts of things whilst they get a level of comfort about who the new head coach is. But we really are trying to um, sell the dream on a long term. And and look, there's no surprises here. We look at what Queensland Reds have done in this space and there's lots to learn from the success they're having.
0: And so... um, Yeah, that's sort of been a bit of a model for us. Something you mentioned a little earlier about, uh, you know, getting the connection right with the ARU, getting the connection right with community. That seems to be the the real template that will be success for rugby in this country is when we get the whole game singing off the same song sheet. Uh, I know New Zealand's a much smaller country, but they seem to have it more streamlined from the bottom up and the top down.
2: Yeah, look, Tim, it's one of of our greatest strengths and one of the biggest challenges at the same time. So, you know, you've got teams like the Crusaders that have got the one feeder club that flows into that particular team. Whilst we've got 13 clubs, effectively, uh, 13 teams playing in shoot shield. So that ability to have have that cohesion that sits below us um, means that that makes it a more challenge. However, I guess, you know, I'm a glasses half full sort of person that also provides us with an amazing depth um, to be able to reach down into and work with those guys to get the best possible people to come through the system. So we're very fortunate from a player participation perspective. It just makes it a little bit more of a challenge in, in understanding the depth and breadth of a much larger base um, and then working with those coaches. But I see that as a real, still a, a massive area of growth for us in developing better relationships with not just the players in Shoot Shield, but the clubs uh, and the coaches and, and, and all the, the surrounding staff around Essence Strength and Conditioners and all those sorts of things so that we're actually sort of all swinging in the same direction.
1: You know, one of the criticisms of the Waratahs and, and Australian rugby for years has been that engagement with grassroots and 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 schools. I guess from, you know, this long before you, when they got rid of the development officers, which, which, when I was involved in sales rugby uh, at a junior level, that engagement with development officers, people on the ground, that direct communication with the Waratahs. And the, is that something that's looking to be started again? Is it going? You know, I don't even know. Is the, the development officer roles that community engagement do they have that link with the waratahs now or if not is there is there plans no so a bit's probably changed um, matt
2: in that space so over three years ago the business made the decision to merge the two entities together so you had the waratahs and new south wales rugby coming together so i guess from my perspective i'm the ceo of both so both the professional game and also the club footy if you like and so one of the decisions that we we had to make during that covid years when i was talking about the, the tough calls was making some people redundant. And some of them were actually on the chopping block were the development staff, just from a funding perspective. But I tell you what, we fought hard to try to keep them and we got multiple external sources to keep those guys employed. So they still continue to be the lifeblood, that connection for us out in Clubland. Um, we, we've got great hopes to be able to increase those numbers going forward. And this year, I guess, from our perspective, what we've done is taken a bit of a slightly different tack instead of spending quality time in schools, our focus is around trying to make clubs stronger places. So that really, that sense of inclusiveness and, and a belonging that people want to be part of something that we learned through COVID, that's the number one driver for our for our development staff these days. They're actually going into clubs and helping them with their retention and recruitment strategies for players, working on volunteerism and how to get more people to sign up. So, yeah, they are a critical piece of the... Or, a cog in the in the big overall machine. There's never enough of them. I'll be the first to admit that. So we do as a sport still continue to rely heavily on volunteers. And I just can't wrap the volunteers enough um of all those things they had to do last year around COVID, you know, with cleaning change rooms and and supervising players and having parents, you know, blow up at the gate because they couldn't come and watch them and all that sort of stuff. The volunteers is an area that Uh, We just need to find better ways to acknowledge and reward them because um, they do an amazing job.
0: Paul, New South Wales rugby, I've worked with you for a number of years, is in good hands. It's great to see you in that job. We wish you all the very best going forward and hopefully uh, you won't be a stranger to the running game. We'd love to talk to you again. That'll be lovely. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Coming up on the running game, we have Brian Billy Melrose. they won 78-10 on the weekend. He's coaching Gordon and, of course, a huge name in this game. running game let's talk to one of the Melrose family one of the most famous names when it comes to rugby union Brian Billy Melrose the coach of Gordon how are you
3: yeah very well guys Uh, good to
1: be great to have you on Billy obviously uh, I've been involved with you for many years we I started my great career playing with you Billy a lot of people wouldn't know it and you've uh, you're one of the most passionate rugby people I know you've you've been to many clubs you're very passionate about grassroots you're very passionate about this game uh, how are you enjoying the, the, the new head role? Uh, obviously, you can compare it to a lot of Gordon.
3: Yeah, no, it's, it's been good. I really enjoyed, to be honest, last year when I went over to Gordon, I like, uh, obviously, my history has been with teams in the lower section, maybe trying to get them up. So it sort of appealed to me last year to go and uh, work with DC, which was, um, yeah, I really liked it, to be honest. Just even being assistant coach, um, you know, you, you get a little bit uh, different perspective and a bit less of the day-to-day uh, headaches. So, yeah. Um, it was obviously a great year last year and, um, you know, obviously back in the head coach role is, is um, a challenge and uh, we've got to try and see if we can't keep going from a good year last year, but we were lucky enough to get off to a decent start.
0: Yeah, fair bit of luck and, and, a, and a stack of talent because you won 78 points to 10 over Manly. That isn't a scoreline we see very often at this level.
3: No, no, it was unusual. To be honest, someone told me it's, well, it's the biggest loss, I think, for Manly ever at uh, Manly Oval. But uh, look, I've got a lot of love for Manly. I've coached there a couple of times and, um, you know, I live down there myself. So I've copped three or four months of uh, lighthearted abuse leading up to the game. So I was was pretty nervous actually before the game. And uh, as it turned out, uh, obviously it was a pretty good day for us. But um, no doubt they'll have have better days. But uh, that's footy sometimes, isn't it?
1: Yeah, Billy, you've been in, you've been involved in the Australian Rugby Union uh, for many, many years. I, w- I won't embarrass you by saying how many, and you've se- you've you've seen different levels. You've you've been around. You've given up so much time. You've been you've been a uh, volunteer. You've been professional. Where do you see? And uh, you know a lot of criticism in the game today at all levels, administration and, and, and rugby. But where do you see the game today? Where do you see it? Where it's where it's come from? Where it is, and how it could be better, or just just your general take on that. Really interested to hear that.
3: It's such an interesting question, and of course, if we just say the bloke in the pub is always asking you, and it just can't be answered in a minute. If I tried to say um, what where the the game at the moment, it's just not real. It's just lost reality. It's lost touch with reality, and it's a, such a shame. You know, I've been fortunate enough to even be in Super Rugby, and Super Rugby used to be real. There was a simple draw for the twelve best teams in the Southern Hemisphere, and you knew exactly what was happening. The best players played for it. And uh, by chance, the crowds rolled in. You know, then they tried to sort of get more product and 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 expand, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and just diluted the product and become this conference-oriented situation where nobody could really see it as real. And and so the biggest thing in sport is sport is just supporting your tribe. And at the moment, the reason that club footy is doing okay is that people can just relate to that tribe. It's not because club footy is better than super footy. It's not. It's just at the moment, no one can work out how people are getting where they get. No one can work out who plays for who, why. And, you know, it's a harsh thing to say, but, you know, if you're even talking in other sports and you say who plays state of origin, it's like, well, you know how they get there and and you know the person. So you know their pathway to get to that point. At the moment, you turn the television on, and I've been—I love the game, no matter whether it's going well or it's going poorly. So I'm always going to watch or be part of it. I turn the television on, and I can't work out who's who, mm. um, you know. And then, if you talk about high performance, well, it's not high performance. It's just—it's it's the opposite. You know, there's no judgment on high performance. I mean, how does how do you work out um, anything in the game anymore? Because there's no relevance to how anybody gets there. So, you know, it's um, it, the game's got to get real. So a little, it's a fair bit of work to be
0: done to get to that point. It is good to hear the voices of people that are singing from that song sheet in the sense of Paul Dorn, who's taken over at New South Wales Rugby. He, he was fresh to the job. The pandemic hit. The whole garbage, the world wobbled on its axis. But we've had him on the show earlier in this show, and he was talking to a few of those points, getting New South Wales guys back from overseas, hopefully, and back playing here, looking to club land. How can we build that? How can we join the the docks and connect from grassroots up and connect from the top down and that's something which obviously New Zealand as a country does well there they've got a lot smaller population but we've had times in the past
3: where it has worked here of course you know of course it can but you know that gets into a complex situation professionalism changed the uh, course of the thing. Mm-hmm. And what Australia, Australia is a very innovative country and in the initial part of professionalism, we were ahead of the curve. Uh, unfortunately money ends up winning no matter what anyone says money ends up winning. And so the European nations with much greater finances are always going to either take your talent, you know, get your best coaches, get your intellect, all those sorts of things. So um, we had to then come up with a, with, with a system that um, may be kept ahead. And in reality, The Kiwis have done well, but there's a vast difference between New Zealand and us. Every kid who's born wants to be an All Black. If there's 10 kids born in Australia, the truth is four want to play rugby league, four want to play AFL, one wants to play soccer and one wants to play rugby. That's the truth. And that didn't used to be the curve. Now, if you look at that then, it means that every Dan Carter wants to play for the All Blacks, but every Dan Carter in Australia isn't sure if he wants to be the Kangaroos 5 whether he wants to be uh, centre-half forward for the Richmond Tigers or he wants to play for the Wallabies. So our gene pool is way, way different than the New Zealand one. And, of course, they're also the biggest nation of uh, Pacific Island culture. So, therefore, they have, they have an incredible gene pool. And then culturally, the game is born into them, whereas here we've got to try and fight. Now to get that bit of passion back, and that's that's a it can be done, but uh, it won't be done the way it's being done at the moment.
1: So, Billy Gordon,
3: three years ago in first
1: grade, it might be longer, don't quote me, got beaten by Eastwood. I went and watched the game 70 to 10. You know, Gordon have invested their money into their juniors, their juniors got you know, were poor, they've become really strong, they've done the same with Colts, and now look at the, you're reaping the rewards. Do you think that's the model that works? And 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 why, why have Gordon been able to do it so well?
3: Well. Everything starts from the top. Gordon got a great president um, and and Matt is a real winner. Um, I think what you say, Tucky, is good. Gordon invested in their Colts five, six years ago, but it's not the only thing. That's the other thing. People go, oh, you know, we just it's all about grassroots. You're not going to grow a team to win just by promoting your juniors. And the harsh reality is that we won the competition last year and half the team was imported, And half of every team is imported. I, I get sick of going around grounds and hearing people tell me how many Colts they've got in their team and blah, blah, blah. That's fantastic. But the point is, you say, where did the Colts come from? Oh, he came from Bathurst. He was brought down from Tamworth. And it's more about getting people connected with where they play at. So at the end of the day, if someone came through Eastwood Colts or Randwick Colts and he 40s way through he gets a connection to that jersey and then he plays against Matt Dunning and uh, or you know ultimately plays against the best players in first grade and he does a job on them and then he gets picked and people see that on television and they go the reason that young bloke has gotten picked is because he just played over the top of you know a superior opponent at the moment you can't work out like last year's grand final if we say that as a barometer of talent within New South Wales You then turn around and you turn the television on and you're seeing players picked in positions and no one even knows who they are. You go, how did that guy get picked above the two people I just watched play the grand final sort of thing? You know what I mean? So I'm not going to name names, but it's beyond belief. So high performance is about winning. And unfortunately in Australian rugby, we're doing no winning. So if you want to fix it, simply get all the people who win and put them together. And all the blokes who don't win, unfortunately, just say, guys, you're out the other door. It's really basic. It's, it's, um, and unfortunately, everyone tries to make it complicated. Just spend a week, go through the whole of Australian rugby and work out who's successful and who's not successful and, and get the people who are successful.
0: Yeah, and it's a two-tiered thing, isn't it? Because you, that's that's the success argument. The, and then you've got to look at the other argument of, okay, with the snapshot of what you – Put together before saying that you've got this collection of guys that want to play rugby league. These guys want to play AFL. You've got one that wants to do soccer and one that wants to do rugby. So with that, you almost need to win the hearts and minds of the parents and particularly the mothers. And one of the things that I've noticed as a you know I don't know anywhere near about as much of rugby union as you two guys do, but I've covered sport for thirty odd years and I've got two boys that play for dual rugby. One thing that I really notice, and this is stating the obvious, is the sense of belonging, the sense of community the sense of spirit that is in this game that's not in many other sports. And i that
3: is, that's something that needs to be marketed. Look, it's a fantastic game. Um, but the one thing, the one thing about sport, two years ago, I was, uh, you know, I've been coaching back in in, in Sydney for, for a family reason um, for four years. So I, I coached uh, Manly just before and we used to do quite well. We didn't win the thing, but we were, Pretty decent and we had a game at gordon two years ago the end of 2018 so just just over two seasons ago and we won quite large score we'll call it 70 to to not many and as i walked out i'd been going to gordon chatswood you know on and off since i was a little kid you know there was ball boy or something and i said to my wife uh, i wonder if there's any speeches and there was no club there was no speeches after the game or no get together and so at the end i um i counted because there was nothing else to do in the game. So I counted how many people were at the game. It was approximately between 150 and 200 people. And that included the players. So as I walked out, I remember saying to my wife, it's one of the status days I've seen for such a great club. And so it's what attracted me to come back. Well, just a short time later, um, obviously, Gordon, you know, Darren did a good job. And in 2019, they turned around and they were coming seventh. And then last year we, you know, pushed up and, uh, you know, had a successful year. And even in covid all of a sudden, there was 2,000 people watching and and that sense of community immediately was back. That community, they loved all the local blokes and they loved the blokes who had come to make the team better. At the end of the day, people just love winning situations and I've never seen a club, it doesn't matter whether or rugby, which is an unreal junior club, that's fantastic, some of my best mates are there, but people love winning places and in sport, the only thing people want to be attached to is winners and it just forever and ever and ever, it won't be any different. No one goes to keep watching losing teams because they've got better things to do in their spare time. They just attach to winning situations. So there's multiple things that need to happen and clearly that connection with the grade clubs has been lost because if you play in those grade clubs, which Matt would know even back when we I was old and Matt was young, <laughs> But in that 80s, 90s, and I don't want to hark back because I love the modern era. I love the professional era as well. But back then, it was simple. You went to footy on a Saturday and Mark Eller was playing against you. And then he played for Australia the next week. And then ultimately, Super Rugby came. And still, even Matt will say, he wasn't playing for New South Wales. He was playing for Eastwood. And it was much easier to work out. Now we've got this situation where guys come and they go into academies. And those academies clearly are not producing players of the York that can stand up against the hardened players from New Zealand. Ultimately, the tribalism somehow has to come back to the club and therefore support or professional help has to come to the clubs. Like in England, you've got your Leicesters and Northamptons. Those clubs are real. And what they possibly should do is try and make the Gordons and the Eastwoods and the Randwicks into teams where kids go, I've really got to get through that level first. And if I'm the best player there, it's pretty simple. I'm going to be playing for the Waratahs. I couldn't agree
1: more, Billy. That's really well said. But like you've been around the game, as we said, a long, a long time. I keep saying it. But how is the modern player today different? And I'm not talking about bigger, faster, stronger. We always know we get bigger, faster, stronger. That's a given. How do you compare the, the current talent in the country right now as football skill uh uh rugby iq all those things that are you get really measurable between the eras how do you see us and uh, have we got the have we got the cattle
3: you've always got the cattle there's always there's always smart kids it's a bit like if you go to school and say how many kids are smart the same people the same percentage of people are born with intelligence if you send your kid to school and you wanted him to get a good education normally what parents will do is they try and send them to the the best area, whether it doesn't matter if it's a public or a private school, they try and send them somewhere where there's a designated results that say that those teachers or the people who are promoting those students make them get better results. So there's always good players. There's always good players. Good players need the absolute best coaching. If you have the second best coaching, you'll end up with the second best players. Everything's about having the best person. And what's happened, I think, in Australian rugby is it's such a small pool. This is a controversial thing to say that people just protected themselves because they love the job. And so, therefore, it got away from who is actually the best person here, you know. And then, you know, I love New Zealand. I, I, I admire New Zealand rugby so much. And the people, I love Kiwis. But to think, let's think about this. Australia is one of the most intelligent, inventive countries in the whole world. And you're telling me there's not someone in Australia who can coach a team here? There's barely a coach who comes from Australia coaching a team in Australia, and yet we've got all the coaches from New Zealand coming here and most of them find it difficult. I talked to Robbie Deans when I was the under-20s coach um, I had to deal with Robbie Dean's affair, Ben. He's a magnificent man. He's a great guy and he's clearly a very, very good coach. Anyway, he, uh, he was going through things with me and saying who were the better players in certain positions because I maybe had a little bit of uh, knowledge on the depth of players and things like that. And even Robbie said, he said, the difference between coaching in Australia and New Zealand is you've got to coach Australians. <laughs> and and yeah. what he was saying is that our talent pool is different than their talent pool. So, therefore, our coaching has to be supreme. Our methods have to be supreme. So, getting the next bloke out of the Canterbury system and coming over here is not the answer. To Australia's problems, I'm afraid. It's proven beyond doubt at the moment. Yeah, and then
0: the when, when, what you were talking about before, it's been fantastic to have a chat. The way that you articulated this whole idea of the tribalism at Eastwood, at Gordon, at Manly and other clubs, that's where the the brilliance or the talent or the ability is met with the resilience and the drive and the hunger and everything else which makes up the, the, the elite athlete, isn't it? That's where they become the player that they are because talent will get you somewhere. It'll
3: get you to the gate, but it's that whole other thing that'll 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 top it all off. At the end of the day, the whole thing is about caring. Right? Like someone said to me the other day after the the uh, Manly Gordon game, "What do you think we need to do?" I said, "You need to care more." Right? I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Have a look at the game." You know what I mean? When someone says care, uh, yes, you can talk about passion, all those sorts of things, but at the moment, the care factor. Has just gone out of the game because the game doesn't care for itself. The game doesn't care about where the game is produced from. It's literally unbelievable to think that all the players come through a certain system, and that system doesn't get a dollar. It's incredible. So how can you care? How can you care upways if no one cares downways? So then you know it just becomes a. I'll, 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 if, if they're not winning then it's like well I've just got something I'll just do, I'll just care about something else
0: yeah well thank God we've got people like you in the system and there's others and there is positivity but there does need to be change and a lot of it uh, because I think there's an enormous thirst for uh, in some areas to get this country back to where it should be and we'd love to uh, talk to you again down the track and congratulations on the win on the weekend
3: yeah thanks a lot happy to be here thanks very much
0: that's it for The Running Game this week. We'll be with you every week with more rugby chat and great interviews. Follow us on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you today to Brian, Billy Melrose, and, of course, to Paul Dorn. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Spartan Sports, and, of course, our producer, Dan McHugh. Thank you, Maddie. See you next week. 100%. Looking
3: forward to it, Tim.